Good evening. Welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. And we are so glad to have you here this evening. My name is Vivian Fisher, and I want to, to extend a heartfelt welcome to each and every one of you for attending this event this evening at the Pratt Library. On behalf of our CEO, Dr. Carla Hayden, the Board of Trustees and the Board of Regents, we welcome you. This evening, we should have an exciting panel discussion, but before I be panel discussion begins, I just want to give you an update on some of the programs that we're having. On Monday, February the 6th at 7.30, we're having a program here from Fortune to Henrietta Lacks and beyond, and it's a panel discussion on medical ethics. We're also having various um, programs throughout the Pratt Library system, and in the hallway, our newsletter, The Compass, is available. So please partake of The comp Compass so that you know what's going on for the month of February. So without further ado, I will turn it over to D.G. Barnett. Vivian, thank you so much. Welcome, everybody. This is going to be an open dialogue discussion. So. Uh, Get ready to use your outside voices to some degree. So let's try it again. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Good evening. I'm Gigi Barnett. I am an anchor reporter at WJZ-TV, and I am so pleased to be here uh, with you this evening. We are going to talk about what makes it difficult to be black, female, and healthy in America, and particularly to some degree in Baltimore. February is not only uh, sing, uh, signals the Black History Month, the beginning of Black History Month is, is Groundhog Day too, so get ready for six more weeks of winter, but also released the book of the Black Women's Health Imperatives, groundbreaking resource, Health First, the Black Woman's Wellness Guide. And this is a really heavy, thick book, so there's a lot of stuff in it and a lot of stuff to read. So here we are today on February 2nd, celebrating the release of this shouldn't live without guide that challenges women to commit to self-care and most importantly, self-love. It is a guide that magazine industry pioneer and former editor-in-chief of Ms. and Essence magazines, Marsha Ann Gillespie celebrates as solid sister-to-sister -sister information, advice, and no-nonsense straight talk about our health and how to really be good to yourself. So we're gonna have a no-nonsense straight talk talk tonight. Well, before the introduction of our authors and guest conversationalists, I'd like to give special acknowledgement to the support and of the guide's publisher, Smiley Books, its publisher, Tavis Smiley, and President Cheryl Woodruff, as well as recognizing the event's co-sponsors, and they are Black Mental Health Alliance, Sisters Together and Reaching, Epsilon Omega, a foundation of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, Red Hot Mamas, National Coalition of 100 Black Women, National Council of Negro Women, and Light Health and Wellness. So now let me introduce this, e this evening's distinguished conversationalist. First, the two authors. Eleanor Hinton Hoyt is a tireless advocate for eliminating health disparities among women and, and communities of color. She serves as the president and CEO of the Black Woman's Health Imperative, 
which is not which is the only nonprofit organization solely devoted to advancing the health and wellness of our nation's 20 million black women and girls through advocacy, education, and leadership development. Hinton Hoyt is the proud recipient of the NAACP's Thurgood Marshall Legacy Award, as well as the Keystone Award for Women's Research Advocacy from the National Institute of Health Office of Women's Research. And Hillary Beard is an award-winning health journalist specializing in health, healthy lifestyles, and personal development. Among many, she has co-authored two New York Times bestsellers. They are Friends, A Love Story with Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance. I read that. And 21 Pounds in 21 Days, The Martha Vineyard's Diet Detox with neuropath Ronnie DeLuz and James Hester. She has been uh, editor-in-chief of the Black AIDS Weekly, Real Health, the National Medical Association's Healthy Living, and HealthQuest magazines. Uh, and contributes frequently to Ebony, Essence, and Heart and Soul. Let's give them a round of applause. And tonight we have a special guest in Tracy Bryant. Tracy is the executive director of the Black Mental Health Alliance for Education and Consultation Incorporated, also called BMHA in Baltimore. She serves on the Maryland Coalition of Families for Children's Mental Health, Woodburn, and Center for the Integration of Spirituality and Mental Health Board of Directors. Tracy also serves on the State of Maryland Advisory Council on Mental Hygiene and is a member of the American Public Health Association. Tracy. So now, let's get the conversation started. I'm going to take a seat because we're going to be talking for some time here. Welcome, ladies. It's good to be on the stage with you. And I told them earlier, I said, we're going to have just a sister-girl kind of heart-to-heart. -heart. And they all agreed to that. They're, they're going to tell us what we need to know and tell us in a way that we take it home and take it to heart. So I was reading through the book too, earlier today. And uh, be, before we go on, just tell, how did you, for the authors, how did you come up with this book idea? Why was this important? As I reflect on this incredible journey we were on, uh, in 2013, the Black Women's Health Imperative will celebrate its 30th year. It started at Spelman College in 1983 with the first Black Women's Health Conference ever. It was founded by Billy Avery, our visionary founder, who came to Atlanta from Florida in 1981, seeking to figure out in Atlanta where Spelman College, a black women's college was, why nobody was talking about black women's health. I was fortunate to meet Billy then in 1981 and spent two years organizing that first conference. and I proudly served as the first as the coordinator of that conference and we organized thinking we'd get 200 women out and 2000 came many of whom had never registered on buses with their children with their daughters and grandmothers because they understood then as we ought to understand now that black women's health should matter 
And we organized under the banner of I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we have spent the last 29 years trying to do something about making black women's health matter, not only in administrations and on Capitol Hill, but in families and particularly with black women. And so four years ago, five years ago, Tavis Smiley founded Smiley Books and then hired Cheryl Woodruff as publisher. And I began talking after having worked for two years, two years prior to that on another book that I produced and half wrote in my living room, dining room, kitchen and basement and upstairs. I literally turned my house into a publishing industry for the National Council of Negro Women uh, with the title, Tomorrow Begins Today, looking at African-American women in midlife and identifying the fact that this was our biggest hope for turning our health disparities around. This is our largest population, as you'll find in this book. Black women who have gone on and can now make those corrective actions. And so to answer your question directly, I haven't missed it. We still could organize today under the banner of I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so four years ago, Cheryl and I were talking about Tomorrow Begins Today, and she said, it's time for you to do another book. And um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, I had just come, as a matter of fact, to uh, the Black Women's Health Imperative as its uh, president uh, two years before, and felt that I could make the commitment. And then uh, two years later, I uh, talked with Hillary, and she was willing to start this journey with us. We're fortunate because we have uh, a new health care reform law, the Affordable Care Act. And so this book is so very timely. And it gives us, in many ways, uh, the first hope with the Affordable Care Act and a guide, we think, that's very practical with facts and some practical uh, information, information that we all should have, that we can turn some of this around. And so that really is, the, the timing is right. I, I don't know how we can continue on as we are. We, we really have to say uh, no and mean it and then turn inward, not selfishly. But as Dr. Vivian Penn uh, 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 says, uh, you have to also not only be a good caregiver, you have to be a good self-giver too. Yeah, this is going to be a, a hot topic issue. And you're mentioning that this is the time, it being an election year, uh, this is going to be a hot button issue come November. I mean, it already is, honestly. So Hillary, how did you get in? Because it sounded as if it didn't take her a long time to convince you to jump in and help her with this book. <laughs> no, it did not take me a long time to jump in. Um, Eleanor invited me. Eleanor is Eleanor. The black women's health. I mean, this is the this is in some ways a culmination of third. I mean, she's saying of thirty years of her work. I'm new to this. I don't know, fifteen years, something like that. And so to have the opportunity to help Eleanor 
um, to carry on the legacy of um, heroes like Billy Avery and other women who have gone before me and have paved the, the way for me to have a healthy life. It was very easy to do, and I already do this work. And, and just to go into the book now, because there are many copies out in the hallway, and if you haven't gotten one, I encourage you to do When I was looking at this, it, it is every woman, every age, every stage. Adolescence, I'm looking at the contents uh, page. Adolescents, young adults, midlife adults, and mature adults from 10 to 65 plus that this book addresses. The, when you look at all of these stages and, and every individual, um, for every woman who needs something at every age, every stage, what was the most striking thing to you that, that, that stood out as you were writing this book? This, this section, and this is part one, and, and let me just say, not because this is our book, but because this is the truth. And we're speaking the truth here tonight, right? All the way. All the way. <laughs> I want you to hear me now. Come in with me. There is no other book on women's, black women's health that deals with black women's lives across the lifespan. There was no way that I could conceive of a book without identifying those unique needs of black women at every stage. And we began with adolescence, and this book is not for and about adolescence, but we began at adolescence because one of the things that we have focused on since I've been at the imperative and Valerie Rochester, who is our director of programs and training, uh, is responsible for this, is how do we get our black girls connected to their black mothers or grandmothers or guardians? And how do we get black mothers to know that our black girls need us? And so we have programs. Uh, um, they're not evidence-based yet, but they are practice-based now. That where girls tell us that they want more from us, that they need more information. They don't want to have STDs. They don't want to be pregnant. They don't want to have HIV. They don't want to flunk out of school. They are proud. And so it was important for us to begin with the adolescence and to say to you, this is who they are. Accept them and love them and help them deal with not sex, but their sexual health. Teach them about their body. Help them understand it's good to have good relationships. They don't have to hate their girlfriends or their, their mothers. That there are models out here and people out here who care. And then with the millenniums, oh Lord, you know, y'all, if there's a millennium, is there a millennium in the house? That's the 19 to 29? Nine, uh, 19, 19 to 39, 30. roughly. Yeah. You know, y'all know it all. Can't tell you much. Can't tell you much. You got it all because you grew up that way. You have not had the opportunity to be denied much, many of you. 
yet. The book will identify, yeah, you got all of that. You have strong family and cultural values, but guess what? You're in poor health. You don't have enough money to get, you're not on, many of you, I'm not talking about you, but many of you are not on jobs that provide you with health insurance. And that's one of the things we advocate for. And so we expose that, even though we love you and we respect you, and we know you're smarter than we are. Uh, in many ways you are, you know, because you've been exposed so much more. But we also know that you ain't there yet, and you're also pretty scared because you ain't there yet, and you want more, and you don't know how to connect with people like me who's chronologically gifted. <laughs> And I'd like to jump in on that answer. Mm -hmm. And so a person, so the book's set up in these life stages. And so a person who's in a younger life stage can look ahead, get a glimpse ahead at the types of issues that often occur in a subsequent life stage, and then take a look at the, the decisions they, they're making now in their current life, life stage and make an adjustment. Or somebody can look back and see what they might have missed in an earlier stage and go back and do some Sankofa and go back and get that so that they can move forward. Um, and so, as you were saying, a mother can look at what her daughter needs. Um, a younger person can look at what her elder may need and support each other um, in that way. And so we think it's a really useful tool in that regard. Trace, I'm going to bring you into this discussion now. Uh, give us some background because you're here in Baltimore and you can kind of see this on the ground. Talk to me more about that. What are you seeing day in, day out when, when you come in contact with these women at every age, every stage? Right. Well, at Black Mental Health Alliance, we have an after-school program. And I'm able to see from the whole wide range what you were sharing. With they really need us um, in that way, not to to look down and be judgmental, but um, I witness it every day. From just I was just talking about a 12-year-old who um, is pregnant, and uh, she was like eight months pregnant before her mother realized mm. that she was eight months pregnant. Mm. And that's at the time that she's really showing. Right. So there was essentially no communication going on here. Right. So 12. So, and, you know, so seeing those type of things in the principal's office where the, the mother says, let's tell the principal to, um, you know, the sixth graders having sex with the eighth grade boys. Um, and then, you know, getting calls where someone calls me and says their mother, sister, and daughter committed suicide. Mm. So I, I think when we talk about from the range of adolescence to adulthood, I think it's important to talk about trauma and when that's not addressed. Um, because a lot of the, when we think about our emotional wellness, a lot of it has to do with the traumas that we've experienced and what we look like if we did have some intervention and what we look like if we did not. So obviously when we talk about 12-year-old versus the maybe 40-something-year-old that called me from California wanting some um, therapeutic intervention because her mother, sister, and daughter committed suicide, you know. So we, we have the whole range. So those are type of the things, some of the, and I'm saying the extremes in the broad range and um, the more severe cases, or when we think about um, the veterans, you know, um, the need of the women soldiers who've been wounded, um, you know, I see that in my work. And um, also when we think about um, people who are, um,
having sexual orientation issues and substance abuse and self-medication, um, you know, trying to, you know, self-identity, self-love, balance. So we hear, you know, we see the, the broad array, but I think the, I'm sorry. No, no jump, jump no, in, no. Eleanor. No, I'm wondering, Tracy, uh, one of the things I, I encourage you to, to look at it's the older woman section. I, and your initial question was, what surprises you most? And I think because I, I do this work, I wasn't surprised, but a lot of people are surprised with our findings related to older women because we operate under the myth of the extended family and the black woman being, uh, older black woman being part of, you know, that extended family. And so I was wondering, Tracy, if you could talk to us uh, because that's an, a very important piece in, in the book, uh, that it exposes some of those uh, misconceptions and, 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 and sort of opens up, unpeels some of those things that I think is going on with older black women who are poor, alone, and malnourished. Right. Just like in, when you think, think about the association between poverty and depression, um, and I, I'll never forget, I was, I was really embarrassed one time because there was a misunderstanding. I had to do a presentation, and I thought it was a, um, like a community-based organization, and I, they wanted me to talk about signs and symptoms of depression, and then somebody raised their hand and said, we're, we're homeless, so yeah. how, how are we not supposed to be depressed? Our lot, every day is depression. Every day. Every day. We, walk, we, we get up. And we walk around the city with our book bags on because we don't want to feel incarcerated in some of the places that are there for us. So when we talk about from extreme from poverty, and as you mentioned, for older women, you know, a lot of the things that I'm exposed to, you mentioned in the book, um, anger, irritability, and a lot of times as older women, you don't realize that that's depression, that that's a form of depression. Um, you know, as far as, you know, and then, of course, we're hormonally predisposed to um, a broad array of emotions. This is a whole three-point system right. because it, it addresses yeah, healthy exactly. body, healthy mind, and something that we tend to leave out, healthy spirit. Right. So you don't realize how all three of those those uh, um, areas of your life really overlap and, and affect the uh, each all of them. Did you, did you want to jump in, Hillary, with anything? Sure, I can. I mean, we are mind, body, and spirit. We are energetic beating, beings, and you can't touch or affect one part of us without affecting all the other parts of us. And so the book talks about mind, body, and spirit. Um, we try to talk about spirit in practical ways that you can integrate into your life. Lots of times when we talk about spirit, we think about church, or we think about Bible study, but there are all sorts of ways that you can express yourself spiritually in the world. You can express yourself spiritually through service, for, through, through finding your calling, through just sitting still, sitting in silence. That's something that black women never do. Um, we have been bred basically to work, right? Um, we don't spend much time meditating. Oftentimes that's associated with Eastern religions, and some people have, un have discomfort with it. Not everyone, of course. But um, it's a part of every spiritual tradition, and all of these are important practic practices that we can integrate into our lives. And even if you can only sit still or be in silence for five minutes in the end of the day, that's going to affect every other part of your being and begin to create a space so that you um, become less busy. Lots of times we create a lot of busyness in our lives, and if we would ever sit still, we would realize that a lot of it's not necessary, and in fact, it generates more of the same. 
Um, maybe we would make, start to make different choices around our food, or maybe if we can carve out five minutes to sit still, maybe we can carve out another five minutes in the other day to take a walk around the block or something that's difficult, we, we previously found difficult to orient, to integrate into our lives. Perfect segue. Because as we go deeper into the book, uh, I want to look at the part two, which is the top 10 health risks for black women. So there are, it's cancer, depression, diabetes, all of that's mentioned in here, but there is one that sticks out to me being a woman who has placed herself on a, this is my term, a healthy eating plan. <laughs> you mentioned it, but it's obesity. And here, uh, I love the way you, you all set this up because you have the stories of the women first. And you talked about uh, one woman who just so happened to be on television, Bertice Berry, and she gave her story as how she was diagnosed uh, as being obese at 12 and what she had to go through being in the television industry and having television add on pounds, uh, something that I'm well aware of and I know. So talk to me about, because if we can just clinch, as you mentioned, the way we're eating, what we're putting into our, mind, our mouths, we can, we can wipe out some forms of cancer. We can wipe out uh, heart disease, the number one killer of women. Talk about more about what black women are eating and how that's affecting the way we feel and look. Before, and, and before we talk about what we're eating, I'd, I'd just like to say, uh, I don't know if, I, I remember Bertice Berry on, on television. I don't know how many people remember her. Incredible uh, 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 woman. Uh, she's a sociologist, she's an author, you know, she's accomplished, and she was on television. But from the age of 12, uh, up until her television career when her, she was wearing, I think, at that time, a size six and then went up to an eight. And her producer said, you're fat. We have to take you off the air. We love those producers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what she decided was uh, uh, she had spent most of her life being subjected to what other people thought about her. She had never accepted her body. And then most of us, being black and female, you know, we have bodies <laughs> with a capital B. Yes. And yes. And so what she had to do was to get rid of all of the fat diets, get rid of what other people thought about her, and, and come, it was a come to Jesus meeting with herself she had to begin to deal with who she was and the very first hurt she had from her brother, you know, who joined in with his friends at that age of 12 or before in rejecting her and teasing her. And so there is nothing like that first rejection that can, you know, carry, take you into a spiral. And so only later did she come to, to come to grips with her size and what food and the diets and what other people were doing to her. And so the food issue is real important uh, to who we are because we have a direct relationship with food. And so um, food is really important in African-American culture. I mean, we socialize around food. We carry on our cultural traditions around food. So we don't want to judge food, OK? So there's no good food. 
no bad food. It's just a matter of moderation, okay? And so we happen to live in a country where there are all these invisible systems and structures that um, place food, place unhealthy food very easily at our disposal. So to just give you a statistic, um, in the food industry, big food is what they call these big companies that produce all this food. It's a, just a handful of companies. They generate 3,800 calories of food per person per day, right? The average woman needs about 2,000 calories worth of food. And so to make money, because this is a capitalist country, right? This is what we do here. We make money. So to make money, they're looking for ways to, to, to get the other 1,600 calories a day down your throat. Okay, and so everywhere you turn now there's food. So Eleanor, you have a better perspective on this than I do, but when I was a child, there was not food at the drugstore and at the gas station. At the, there was food in your kitchen, there was food at a restaurant, and there was food in the supermarket, right? Now everywhere you turn, if you walk out the door, I'm sure there's food. There's food at the gym, right? Where you're supposed to be burning it off, right? Oftentimes it's junk food. There's junk food at school, right? And so many of us never, never learn what our bodies are supposed to look like because this food is too available to us or it's unhealthy food. So any food that you find in a box, the, and, and all these tips are in here, so the best food for you is going to be the food around the perimeter of the supermarket. All those aisles and aisles and aisles in the middle of, of the supermarket with stuff in cans and boxes. Um, those are foods more to be avoided because they've been stripped of their nutrition so that they can put them in a box so that there's this thing called shelf life, meaning it can stay there till ever, forever till you buy it. And since many of us don't cook, forever till we get around to cooking it, right, without spoiling. Live nutritious things spoil. Roaches eat them, rats eat them, mice want them, right? They don't want that. So they're trying to create foods that will last as long as they can on the shelf so that you will then eat it. But those are the, what's, what's the benefit for them, which is that those foods are cheap, they can sell them at a higher price and make a lot of money, is not advantageous for you because those are foods with the least nutrients. And so those contribute to obesity. They contribute to depression because you're not getting the nutrients that your body needs. And so when your body goes to fire to feel a certain way or to think a certain thought, the nutrients aren't there to create the chemical reaction. All of this chemistry is happening. So they contribute to depression. Many of us, I would imagine in this room, experience periods of foggy thinking. Foggy thinking is caused by a low nu nutrient diet. Low energy is caused by a low nutrient diet. Um, and so as we shop around the perimeter of the supermarket, the um, fresh fruits and vegetable aisle, there's, um, well, meats are along the produce and seafood and meats, right, along the, um, along the back of the aisle, maybe, and then down the side, maybe, be, maybe some dairy products or that kind of thing. Those are the better places for us to shop. Farmers markets are great places to shop. Um, those are living foods closer to how, how they looked when God made them. Those foods are healthier for you. They'll give you the most ener energy, nourish you the best, and um, leave you less likely to succumb to disease. Two-thirds of diseases in the United States are caused by basically malnutrition um, and lack of exercise. And the interesting thing is that the, it's the woman who is in charge, usually, of the way the family eats. So I just did a story last week about the USDA now changing the, the making school lunches healthy right. at school. And whereas parents are not necessarily, of course, uh, taking their making the lunches, they're sending them to school. Right. Now they have to make sure they get healthy school because they know uh, uh, lunches because they know they're not getting it at home. Right. So it's the woman who makes sure that the man eats healthy and the children eat healthy. Right. But the USDA, in a lot of ways, is the fox guarding the hen house because the USDA has a twofold motion. Uh, um, mission. One is to promote 
American agriculture and, and products, right? And promote so that and support. Support and yes, promote and support. So even in new food guidelines and all that kind of thing, they'll say stay away from high saturated fat foods, but they won't say stop eating so much cheese. Right? Mm -hmm. Why? And so because cheese is a product of the American dairy industry, which receives subsidies from the United yep. States. You know? So there are all these foods, whatever, wheat, rice, corn, um, soy, sugar, dairy, I think is one other, are subsidized by the government. That's why those foods are so cheap. That's why you can get a 99 cent meal deal that's made of wheat. It's got some rice thrown in the thing for filler. You, you want, you, you know, you'll, lots of sugar. They'll upsize your soda for nothing because a, a, a soda costs five cents, right? That's their cost with the cup. Um, it may be six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the Literally. wool is really being kind of pulled over our eyes. Yes. yes. So you have to, so we love our government and we have to protect ourselves from our government. And, and we have to begin saying no. Uh, our founder, Bill Avery, says we need to begin saying, use it no, mean it, but also make sure it's a complete sentence. No. <laughs> no and a look, and right? No and Dare a look. You say something. No. It, you know, some you, we used to, we were taught to push back from the table. It, that's no longer because we eat standing up now uh, many times, or in the car, as you know. We just need to say no to some of these foods, and I, I think that's definitely the message when we look at the relationship that we have with our bodies with foods and then the food industry. We accept whatever the food industry and, 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 and the USDA uh, say to us. No, with an exclamation mark. Mm -hmm. And a look. <laughs> and a look. 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 <laughs> Tracy, did you want to add to that? Well, you know, I was, of course, when I think about emotional health, um, when we look at African-American women um, and how the overeating um, plays into, oh, I'm sorry. Um, with binge eating associated with um, depression, and um, I can't remember the lady's name. That's that was that was um, told that she was um, too fat at a size eight. And Bertice. Bertice. Oprah. It also happened to Oprah as well. Oprah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the extreme by not eating and the impact that has as far as causing depression and. Um, but I, I think it's very important and it definitely plays a role as it relates to our emotional health that we take care of ourselves and eat the way that we're supposed to, to eat. Sexually transmitted diseases is on here. HIV is also, but I'm going to stick with sexually transmitted diseases because we know that HIV can be passed through that method. But this is also a, a chapter in the book, and, and you talk about a, a, a 17, or she was 17 at the time. Lola is in here. She's featured, and she talks about uh, getting several uh, STDs by the time she was 18 or 19. And finally, she came to that just say no a statement with the look. Uh, particularly, though, to men. So the STDs in, in, in women, uh, let me just read some, some facts here. Black women are uh, experiencing an STD epidemic. By some estimates, 48% of us between 14 and 49 have general herpes, her herpes, a common STD. Black women accounted for 64 new AIDS cases among women in 2009. Staggering. 64% of new AIDS cases? 64% yes, of new percent. AIDS cases. Yeah, yeah. Even though we represent only 12% of the population, good news, though, that you give, it's all preventable. 
Jump in there, Hillary. Okay. So, um, so in our community, there's often a lack of conversation about sex and sexuality and often a lack of honesty when that conversation does take place or it takes place on a yeah, girlfriend kind of level and truths don't get told. And so if you were to divide this room in half or a third, there are people who debate the statistics, but it doesn't matter because too many people have, H have STDs in our community. So an STD, um, there's an STD epidemic. We are not any more sexually promis promiscuous, whatever that means. We are not any less sexually cautious than other people. There's a lot of research that indicates that we're more conservative in our practices and more cautious in our practices. But we are having sex in a small community that has an STD epidemic, okay? So it's not, we're not nasty. I'm using these words that people use, right? We're not dirty, um, none of that. We just happen to be born into a certain cer set of circumstances. And so it requires that we be much more vigilant and much more careful. And nobody prepares us to have these difficult conversations when we love somebody right at the point where we're feeling the, the most passionate or the strongest about them and we want to connect with them in this kind of way. Nobody has ever taught many of us how to have this conversation. And in a situation where there's a demographic imbalance or in some cases people are experiencing intimate partner violence or there could be um, a lack of fidelity in a relationship or sharing or your Tuesday night or what, however people, people work, all sorts of different ways. Um, diseases get spread and so they're passed within no, in social networks. It's not what you do, it's what the partner of the partner of the partner of somebody else is doing um, necessarily. And so we often look at our own behavior and say, well, I don't do this and we want to trust our, our sex partners. And, and in and, many cases it is what we do okay. uh, or don't do. Yes. Uh, I think that uh, one thing that, that the book uh, asks us to do is to enter into a relationship with ourselves, uh, to love yourself and care. That we have chapter nine is self-care. And what does that mean? It, it, it sounds funny, doesn't it? Uh, as women, we ought to be about self-care. Uh, even though it's overworked, uh, it, the, the airplane uh, analogy works. If you're on a plane and you have a child, you know, you need, you can't save that child if you did, right? So you need to put that oxygen mask on yourself first. Uh, and I know that's an overwork, but it's the same thing. And, and I know as a uh, uh, single mother, I became a single mother too soon. And my commitment elevated, my intentionality elevated once I became single because I knew that I was her safety net and that I had to make a decision not only at that moment and suffer the consequences of that moment, but that decision would affect, would affect every moment thereafter. So I made a decision that my challenge and my goal and my mission in life would be to raise someone healthy and happy as much as I could. And which meant that I had to be intentional about my health, who I slept with, who I didn't sleep with, where I worked, where I lived, and how I lived.
and what I ate. I know that's hard, but you you got you don't have a choice, do you? So why is it that that women who may be single mothers or or single period cannot come to that point where they say, okay, I have to make choices. It's all on me. It's called self love. I I really it it, it ain't it, no strength and it ain't superwoman. It is how much do we care? And I think emotional and spiritual health. I have a friend in the audience and, you know, I ain't the strongest person going to church as she knows because she's, <laughs> she's my spiritual God. But uh, uh, my, you know, it is the spirit of it that you got to be so emotionally uh, healthy and it, you don't have to be the sanest person or the smartest person in the world. But that, that does, it doesn't require that. But, but Tracy, help us understand what it requires to be intentional and purposeful for yourself and your family right. and your community. Right. The, yourself first. Yourself right. self first. Right. Right. But just as you said, you know, this has become, I guess, through, I guess, family backgrounds, it can be uncomfortable conversation. So you have to have the courage to stand up for yourself and say, you know, are you, do you feel comfortable about your sexual health? And, you know, start the conversation. And I think that when you stand up and you protect yourself and you love yourself, you feel better about yourself and people will respond to you differently and they will respect you. And I think that's, I think that's very important. And I think when we are silent, I think we are in denial, um, you know, Oh, I'm sorry, when we talk about um, those tiny little voices and trusting your instinct. You know, um, I was just having this conversation today, even when it, as it relates to relationships, and you know, the, the saying that when people show you who, you who they are, believe them. And it's the same thing when you um, observe habits and different little voices and something's happened, you don't address it when it happens because you are afraid because you want to, you're just more comfortable to go on with the unknown. A lot of times it's very comfortable to go on with the unknown as it relates to our health. Um, we might not go and you know maybe get results or go to the doctor when we have certain pain or if we have a relationship with someone when they're showing signs, but mm, we don't want to, we don't want to delete the fantasy. So we keep but going Tracy, on. Isn't so. it and I'm not trying to take no. over your role, yeah. even though I do take over. <laughs> I mean, I'm just no. known for that, that, you know. But so forgive I me. I don't mind. <laughs> but, but isn't it, it, it isn't just the sexual relationship. I mean, it, you know, let's be real. Right. Uh, it is every aspect of your life. I right. hope you agree. Oh, absolutely. That, that it, it is, you make a decision about what you're going to eat. You make a decision about who you're going to go out with and have dinner with. You make a decision about who you will sleep with. Uh, you make a decision about whether you're going to go to church or not, or whether you're going to believe in God or call on a higher being. You've got to have something mm -hmm. to call on, to hang on to, and to believe in, and to support you as you take any and every step along the way you have to be intentional on whatever journey you're on or you are 
in my mind, and that's what I'm trying to get from you, you are, if you don't, if you aren't intentional, you are not emotionally healthy. Right. Okay. But it, it, what you're saying, this is all based on how you feel about yourself. Exactly. How do you feel about yourself? If you feel like you're good enough to go to church, if you feel like you're good enough for the best foods, if you feel like you're good enough to work out and look your best, if you feel like you're good enough for that good man, and in the, in, in, in the, I don't mean that in a negative yeah. way, I mean though that you deserve a man who's gonna treat you right, then that's what you're gonna, that's the, what you're gonna accept, yeah. only. And you, feel, and you feel good enough about yourself to walk out that door because most black women, now let's be real clear, the medium income of black women, and we're talking about 20 million black women in this country, is 26,600. Now, I know we think we are cuter and smarter and richer with wealth than we are, but this is data that's irrefutable. We are not doing well financially. So we don't have high expectations that we can do well in our health. But there are ways that we can do better than we're doing. Hillary? Yeah. Um, so I just want to build on the financial data because one of the, um, one of the most startling things for me to learn was based on 2007 data, so this is pre-recession data, the median single black woman so that means half had more money than this, half had more wealth than this, and half had less, had $100 to her name plus her car, okay? So that's when you take everything she owns and subtract out everything she owes. She had $100 left plus her car. So dialing this back to health, this means she can't afford to miss a day of work. She often doesn't have health insurance, so if she has to pay, she can't afford to pay out of pocket. She can't afford to get her car fixed. She can't afford for her child to miss school. She can't afford for her child to get, it, get sick. Um, and so that's not an environment that's really conducive to taking good care of ourselves, yet we all walk, many of us, walk around dressed to the nines. And so it's really easy to project onto other people, well, that's some other person, some other situation, but there are a whole lot of women in here, I would imagine, who look, who have the clothes that they had prior to the recession, right? But their bank account isn't the same way. I mean, I've met women who lived in $450,000 houses and drive Lexuses and are telling me they're wiped out, you know? Um, and so I think it's time for a lot of us to start to tell the truth about who we are and where we really are because it's only by revealing what's really going on that you can solve the real problem, that you get to the root of the thing. And you also understand that you're not the only person in this situation. The minute that you reveal somebody else is going to mirror that issue right back to you because so many of us have these issues going on. Great, and so can I say one thing about the STD thing? Go for okay. it, go for so it. So these STD stats get put in the newspaper and they're very sensational listing and it's black women, or all these negative statistics. But I also want you all to know that sometimes, that, that I'm assuming that these statistics are relatively accurate, but the comparisons to white women often are inaccurate because the, the statistics come from the public health service, okay, where black and Latinas, black, black women and Latinas are disproportionately tested. White women are disproportionately tested in the private sector where they're not required to report the data, okay? And so we have to assume, we should assume that the STD rates among white women are very similar to the rates as, uh, among black women, okay? But, wow. And, 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 right. and that is a um, wow factor. Another truth 
is that that's only important if you consider white women the gold yeah. standard. Yeah. Hello. Tell us more. What do you mean? That white women are not doing that well themselves. Right. So why would I want to be compared to them? Right. Why would we want that to be our standard under any? That in order to create a path that you can take, maintain, and sustain, then you have to understand what is required of you. We have to move beyond the numbers. They don't, and, 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 and I have to deal with it. I put the numbers up on our website, www.blackwomenshealth.org. I talk about it. I, I, I preach about it. I know it. But we have to move beyond the numbers in order to bring about change. And we have to come to grips with who we are who our partners are, and have some come-to-Jesus meetings with our partners, in addition to coming to grips with we either don't love ourselves, or we are in denial, or we are in self-neglect, or we are not emotionally healthy or stable enough to be alone and healthy. You have choices here. I'm alone and healthy. Or I could date and be unsure. Valerie, did you hear that? <laughs> I mean, you know, those are, I mean, I know it's interesting and it's unfortunate. And that doesn't mean that there are not healthy men out there or you can't have healthy relationships. You have to do, you have to come together with your own truths and needs. But know that. It's not the men giving you the STDs. It is you participating in a relationship in which you have been unsafe. You have, he has violated you, but you have violated yourself. And so I say that I've been fortunate because I've been involved in the Black Women's Health Movement for 30 years. And so I have had sister circles when I needed them. I've had women friends when I needed them, when I was uh, uh, in a PhD program doing my research for my dissertation and my husband left me. And I had a baby and a cacti garden and a lake and a and four level house and, didn't, and no job and a chicken. <laughs> so nobody can tell me what to do with a chicken, I know. And so, <laughs> it's true. And so you have to come together with your own truth. Do you fall under? Do you stay? Do you go back or do you find someone else? Or do you figure your own path out that's good for you? That, that's exactly where I wanna go because we were talking about making the connection with the generation before us and the generation after us and making that connection. Tracy, I, this question is for you or you, Hillary, it, it doesn't matter. But so many times we as black women, we don't have that woman before us or maybe we do, and but she just wasn't as effective 
in telling us what we need to know, whether it's about our health or bodies or men or money or whatever the case may be. So how does a woman break away from the pattern that she sees every other woman in her family taking part in? Okay. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to use myself as a personal example, okay? Um, because I do this kind of stuff now. I um, write health. I live, I live what is in this book. Um, but I did not start out here. So if you had known me when I was 27 years old, I was corporate girl. Um, I had a relaxer. I wore suits and bow ties to work. Remember the bow ties? And um, was exposed to women who were older than me, who were my mentors. But the more I got to know them, the more I realized, oh, that's not who I want to be. And is that really what I'm signing up for if I stay on this path? And so I began to tell the truth to myself about a lot of things about myself that I had run away from. I've always been creative. I could always write. And I began to look at my natural gifts and talents. And in my spiritual quest, began to ask the question, why would I have these gifts and somebody else is good at math? and somebody else can do science, and somebody else can sing, why would I be good at these things if I weren't supposed to use them? And what kind of shape am I going to end up in if I keep ignoring my callings or the urgings of my own spirit to imitate what these other people were doing? And many of them were white women who are dear friends, but they were miserable. But boy, did they have beautiful homes and shopped in the right section of the store. And so I, had, I decided to choose. And so I had no role models. My role models were um, MTV, um, VH1, Behind the Music, because <laughs> Charlie Rose had a lot of artists on, and Oprah, what, listening, listening to Oprah talk about living an authentic life. And I decided to explore it. And so what I learned was that the gentle urgings of my spirit, my intuition that you're talking about, the um, things that I'm naturally attracted to, are real things, and they're real things for me. And so I've learned to move toward them. And so this has been an important part of my spiritual journey. Mental health, I think, has come with that. Um, because I learned I would drive to, to my fabulous job, and it looked great from the outside. And I was very well compensated. And the first 15 minutes of my commute were wonderful. And the last 15 minutes, I would get depressed. And so I would stay in a little bit of a low-grade funk all day long. Very effective, however. And then in the last 15 minutes of the day, and then I'd head to my poetry reading and dance class and all the other things that I really love to do that I would squeeze who Hillary really wanted to be into two hours in the evening and, in weekend, and on the weekend. And I reached a point where I decided to flip that. And um, it was a big risk. It was scary. One of my dear friends in the audience supported me, listened to me every day when I went through the process. And I found out that there was a there there. You know, that the things that I envisioned in my imagination, the calling, the inklings about myself, they were attached to a real thing. And so I know there's somebody here in the audience who's having these kinds of questions and wondering, is this real about her? And I think you'll find a lot of information in this book around mental and emotional and spiritual health that will help you integrate those things and help you understand as you as you bring those parts together of yourself so that you're not, you know, I wear a size 10 and I was taking my size 10 and I realized I was sticking into a size size six day, you know, when you take all of yourself and you can expand yourself and be yourself and be your unique, peculiar, idiosyncratic self, there's a space in the universe for you. There's a lane with your name on it and it takes much less efforting. You will show up and people will be like, oh my goodness, I'm glad you're here. Where have you been? Can I pay you to be you? That's the shocking thing. You can get paid to be you, right? I, need to, I want to adopt that. Right. Paid to be you. <laughs> Tracy, what were you going to say? When I think about the women in my life, um, I'm still very close to my grandmother. She was born in 1918. 
and um, she's still doing very well. Um, she's been sick recently, but I remember in the 90s, um, I talked about how I was crying or something in front of someone, and she was like, no, 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 you shouldn't let, you don't cry. You, you don't, she was telling me that I shouldn't be crying. I should never let a man see me cry. And she had this whole message that she told me about crying. And then I was just thinking like, wow, okay. And then my mother has a very strong personality and she would tell me different things. You should do this, you should say this. And I was raised as an only child. So interaction with friendships and getting feedback was very important to me. And what I realized as I um, was developing emotionally, I realized that with so many people telling me so many things, my mother, who like I said, I'm her only child, so very strong personality, um, wants to know every facet of my life and wants to contribute, but through love, through love. It's all about love, but very, very, again, strong personality. And my friends telling me different things I realized that you can lose yourself because you are hearing so many different things. Don't do this. You should do this. You shouldn't do this. And so I realized you, you're, you can't learn from your mistakes if you are not being true to who you are. So I think it's a beautiful thing to have relationships with friends and to listen to your mother and to listen to your grandmother. But you have to understand who you are and what, you know, understand what's best for you and how to express yourself and how you want to live your life. And that was something that was a challenge for me because I wanted to adopt different recommendations. And so I'll never forget one New Year's Day. I said, Mom, I love you so much and I really appreciate all that you, you share with me. But I want to learn from my own mistakes so I can be true to who I am. And she was like, okay. You know, but I mean, I think that's really important because I think it's, I think we should share. I think sometimes mothers and grandmothers are afraid to share their errors with them, with us. And we need to hear that they want to only share the outcome, but they don't necessarily share the process with us where, you know, they just tell you, well, this is what you should do, but how did that evolve? So I think it's important that we share that with young people our mistakes too so that they can understand and, and, and allow your children to make mistakes and, and allow us to, to form and, and again be true to who you are because when you're, when you're true to who you are then that's when you're able to I think make solid decisions and learn from, from mistakes and learn from about life. other people in yeah. life. So. There, there was a, I, I interviewed um, a few years ago and it always stuck with me right. a, a, a psychologist and, or a psychiatrist, I always get that mixed up. And he had said, you know what, when people, when patients come into his office, he finds that they are typically the healthiest people in their family. Because they're gonna be the ones who say, you know what, uh, these folks may not have it all together and I need to go and get help elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've, I've, I've noticed too, is that some, many times, uh, how do I say this gently, delicately? <laughs> many African-American women do not want to go and see a doctor on that level because they think I'm not crazy there's nothing wrong with right. me I don't need him I don't need her and they do it I was I read the Ben Carson story and he talked about his mother uh, sending him and his brother away and she went and talked to uh, a healthcare mental health care professional and I thought 
And she, of, of course, did not have the funds, but she did it. And many women are not going to do that. What, why not? I mean, they're thinking that they're crazy right off the bat when they're the healthiest people in their family. Can, can I hop, hop in on that? Do it. Actually, um, I, I think there is, I think there are many black women who don't go to therapy or who struggle with the idea of therapy and don't want to air dirty laundry and don't want to talk to the people downtown and all of that. And I think it's true that a lot of us are going to therapy and we're not talking about it. Okay. And so I interviewed a couple of, um, uh, who, it was one, well, a couple of psychologists, a psychologist and a social worker in the book. And they actually said, and I, I think that a black woman needs a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, a, right? And a therapist could be on your team just like you have a plumber. A good right? therapist. A good therapist, right? One with so, years of experience. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in therapy. I've gone to therapy. Therapy is not something where you just go and you wallow in your problems all the time. A therapist is like having a coach in your corner, for those of you who have not gone. So you go with an objective in mind, and you communicate what that objective is, and you participate in an educational process. And so in our community, in many communities, it's not just us, but we're talking about us, there has not been... Um, Okay, people don't have um, a lot of education about emotional development, so you learn a skill set. Um, it's an educational process, and the lab is your life, and um, so you learn a skill set. But a lot of us are going to therapy, and I'm learning from therapists recently that a lot of our men are going to therapy, and they're not getting dragged in by their women. They're going because they want to be healthy. They want to solve the problems in their life. They want to have relationships with the women in their life. They want to be involved with their children. Many of them are heartbroken about the lack of involvement with their children um, and disconnection in relationships. I know we're going to go ahead and get to some, some of the questions that you all may have, because I know you have a lot of questions for our, for our panelists. But just really one last uh, question, and, and that is just kind of off the top of your head, why is it that black women ultimately cannot be healthy? or are not healthy here in Baltimore, in Maryland, in the US? Round it up for it, sum it up for us. I think one of the questions we ask in the book is what stands between us and good health? And then the, we have come together tonight uh, under the question of what makes it difficult to be black, female, and healthy? And, and in my opinion, and I think you'll find this in the book, everything. Um, historically, uh, uh, this just having the cultural legacy, uh, the racism, the sexism, uh, the classism, uh, how we look at ourselves, the standard of beauty in this country, the expectations, working under the label of strong black womanhood. It, it's, you know, why, who needs that? You know, I mean, why do we want to be strong? Why can't we just be, you know? Why can't we forgive ourselves for not loving ourselves or forgive our mothers for not being there or forgive our partners for uh, not being there or forgive our children for neglecting us? Uh, it, it is all of that. It, we, we, it's the oppression, it's the isolation, it's the denial, it's the self-neglect and, and all, everything else. It, it, all of that stands in the way. And I say, uh, let's begin working on filling some of this back. 
Um, I'll never forget. I know Terry Williams is mentioned in this book. Um, she's the author of Black Pain, and we did some work together, and it was basically the superwoman complex, which mask will you unveil? And I think a lot of us are running around with different masks on. And I think it's time to take off the mask and uh, be true to yourself. Um, and I think as far as just the balance, we're taking care of so many people all of the time, you know, our parents, our children, um, other loved ones, and then we put ourselves last. So I think it's important that we put ourselves first, just as you mentioned, the oxygen. And um, I think in that, if we do that and seek help, understand um, the dynamics of, I mean, depression and emotional health, because if your emotional health is not sound, you cannot, you cannot function. You know, just the biocycle spiritual model. So I think it's important to um, put ourselves first and understand the importance of our emotional health. Thank you, Marie. Okay. Um, I agree with all of that, and I want to give you something really practical that you can do because sometimes we lack information, okay? So when you go to the doctor, I want to suggest that if you don't already do it, have your doctor send you a copy. When you have your um, blood work and your urinalysis, you can have a copy sent straight to your home, okay? You want to collect those over the years, and you can go online. There's a website. I think it's labtestonline.com. You can Google what does this stuff mean on this report. You can learn it in about half an hour. You can then chart it over time. You can even go back and ask your doctor. You have to pay something for this, but it'll be the price of some shoes you bought or an afternoon at the mall one day. It's no biggie. Um, if you spent it for something you don't remember, um, this will save your life. So you can go back, ask your doctor for copies of your lab results and your medical records, because your doctor has seven minutes on average to spend with you. They don't have time to look at your chart again. They're not charting no trends. You want to know what is the trend with my blood pressure, my blood sugar, my blood cholesterol, my weight, um, all of this. All of this is in the book, okay? You want to begin to take a look at what is the trend. So a lot of the diseases that show up in the middle of this book is the, is the leading causes, leading risk to our health. Many of them take 10 years to develop. Your doctor might not tell you till you have the disease because they're just looking at an individual data point, but in the meantime, the points are going up, up, up. And all along the way, it can be stopped, it can be corrected, we can choose. We have the power to choose, and we can choose differently at any point in time. So I want to suggest that all of you get your lab results. They're free. They can be sent right straight to your home. You can Google what it means and um, interpret it and keep track over time yourself. And then um, proactively engage in the appropriate interventions. You can assemble your own self-care team. Um, it can consist of medical providers and complementary and alternative providers. Often that is the side of the aisle that will provide you with the most education. You'll have to pay out of pocket. That's another, um, another pair of shoes sometimes for many of us. For, uh, for others of us, we cannot afford it as, as often, but there are often low-cost um, alternative providers in the community who the people who are on that side, they know about it. They know, know who to send you to, who can educate you about yourself in ways that the doctor does not know oftentimes and is not going to be able to educate you about in your seven-minute appointment with them. You have a choice, and that choice can be self-love. So if you have any questions, let's take your questions now. Um, stand on up, and, and let's see if we can get a mic over to you, if at all possible.
I asked, oh, hello. So I asked our um, program director, when's the last time you had a vacation? She's like, well, let me think, what year is this? And so um, one of my questions, one of my goals, aside from doing my job, is we have a daycare center which provides services to children two to five, and even that staff, um, it's, it's amazing what they get done in a day. So one of my goals is to introduce um, just self-love for them. I want them to take a break. I'm on them all the time. I'm only there four weeks, and I'm already like, when, did, when have you gone out to lunch? Like, you know, go away, go do something. So can you help me? And I, the, my program director is sitting right next to me. Hi, Delita. Um, and so if you can help me get some ideas on how I can integrate um, just taking the importance of taking the time to take care of yourself to a group of women who have this, we're going to get it done, the superwoman um, mentality. I would like to take uh, the opportunity to introduce uh, uh, self-help and self-care sister circles to you. Uh, we have partnered with you, and thank you for being a sponsor uh, for this and for other activities we've had here in Baltimore. Valerie Rochester is our program director, and we are just beginning to go into a strategic planning, a six-month strategic planning process, and we are beginning to have self-help trainings. And one of the things that we have started, uh, we started in, at this organization in 1983 was self-help sister circles. And they, they are uh, a ways that you can connect with other women. So you can go to your therapist and still be isolated from other people. And so in addition to your therapist, and I'm not against therapy, uh, I probably need it, uh, uh, but <laughs> I do need women in my lives because many of us are isolated. And so that, these self-help sister circles help you develop a trusting relationship with another woman and, and, and establishes confidentiality. And so I would say talk to Valerie about uh, uh, staff coming over to help you begin that. And once you begin feeling good about yourself, then they, they'll do the rest. She mentioned a, a really good point, though, and that is essentially throughout the course of the day, the week, the month, or the year, knowing that you have to take a break. So I, I'm, I'm going to admit, make a, a, a confession, but I took a vacation for the first time last month, and I don't want to tell you how many years, maybe about four years, seriously. Um, in, in a week and I came back so recharged and so refreshed that I just I was able to see everything from a different vantage point We are not Vacationing. I mean and, and you don't have to go to Bora Bora or Tahiti, but but you need to, to, to breathe Right. Can I comment on that? Okay, so we can take little mini vacations. We can create our home bath spa day you know, we can come together with girlfriends and come together for a morning or a Saturday or a movie evening, or we can swap houses, right? We can go, um, sometimes you can find a convent or something like that where you can have a retreat for $25 a night in a beautiful location, in addition to all, that, all these high-end kind of things that people do. So there are all sorts of kinds of retreats. Oh, and the, the National Park Service, I found this out recently. You can get um, cabins and things for next to nothing. 
um, and they're often empty. Um, so there are all sorts of different ways to doing that. But sometimes we just have, um, we could take a vacation. I'm guilty of this sometimes. We could take a vacation, but we're really kind of stuck in a circular loop of kind of stinking thinking. And we have this list on page 287 of um, what we're calling stinking thinking, but it's um, 15 what they're called cognitive distortions. And these are ways, oftentimes we think of mental illness as being, well, I'm not, I don't need any help because I'm not schizophrenic or I'm not psycho, I'm not um, a clutter house lady, right? That kind of thing, that are obvious mental illnesses. But we can get mentally out of balance. And so this list provides 15 different ways that our, stink, our thinking becomes a little distorted. And so there are times when I literally go, go down this list and I'll be like, am I doing this distortion? Check. Check, check. And so it's a way for you to begin to look at, does your thinking really make sense? Because we find ourselves in little worlds and we attract people and we like to hang out with people like us. And often we all have the same um, thought process. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of heaven's reward fallacy, number 15. We expect our self-denial to pay off, meaning God is going to deny us. And then we feel better when the reward doesn't come. See, I told you God doesn't love me. I didn't get some stuff. So that's, we, you got to cut that out. Any other questions? Um, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Sheila Matano. I'm a recent graduate of Morgan State. I just went through their public health program. And I am, <laughs> and, and I am also a research um, consultant working in Baltimore City. And um, I appreciate all your comments and all your information that you have given today. But we have to be realistic that we live in Baltimore, Baltimore City. And when you're talking about women who are making an average of $26,000 a year, that's not the case of many women I have seen. So with regard to health and, and loving yourself, um, no offense, but you can love yourself all you want. But if you can't, you don't have enough money to pay the rent or to go out and buy food or even have transportation to go to the local social security office to get your papers straight, then I don't know how we can encourage these women to have a healthy lifestyle. I mean, you're talking about vacation. Some of these women have basic issues like where am I going to live tomorrow? What are my kids going to eat? And I think, well, it's great that you've commented on everything else, but I would like for you to comment on low-income women and what we can do for them health-wise. I don't think you can do anything for low-income women. I think you have to work with. We don't believe at the imperative of doing for others. It is coming together so we can do for each other. So the whole notion of saving somebody else is, is, is a little foreign here. I absolutely agree, but one of the differences is the approach, it seems to me, is that you, you uh, uh, what it takes to love yourself does not mean that you need that vacation, you, you go on that vacation. It means accepting the fact that you need it and you can expire to it. Loving yourself when you, and I know what you're talking about because we do collaborate with Baltimore uh, community-based organizations and know the data, know the women's lives and tell the stories. But what you can do is work with women so that they can accept who they are and have aspirations for something better. And therefore they can not only treat themselves better, they can treat their children better and they can develop a plan for, for uh, uh, getting out of that situation. You will find some of the personal stories in here are not just from high-end or middle-income women. It is women who have beat the odds. Part two is women who beat the odds. 
let me just say, first, uh, lastly, I appreciate you bringing out that point. That is so important. But let's cut through. This is not classism. This is not the exception. There are some exceptions in here, like going to a spa and going on vacation. But it is, how do you come to grips with that? I'm poor, black and female, and not healthy. It is beginning. It is that first step. And, you, and we can do that. And the sister circles that Eleanor talked about are free. And I the, mean, you, the, yeah, you can come together is, as women. Yeah, and it, is, it, 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 it has to be accepting who you are. And it doesn't matter. It, it does matter. Don't think I'm naive and, and think that income doesn't matter or place doesn't matter. What it is is that we have to believe that each of us matters, that God would not have done this for us not to have mattered. And so we have to be able to embrace all of us at every stage, that it's never too early, it's never too late, and it's under all conditions. Hi, Eleanor, everyone. I'm Deborah Hickman. I'm CEO and founder of Sisters Together and Reaching. Thank you very much for a very thought-provoking dialogue, as well as the writing of the book to both you and to Hillary. And I'd like to say that I think that there needs to be a part two, a very deep part two, because here in Baltimore City, in the state of Maryland, African-American women are suffering in a different kind of way. And I think it's from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. And I don't think that we really know how to sister with each other because there is classism amongst us. There are a lot of lies that we tell in public to make ourselves look like what we are not. And we have to come up out of that denial, up out of that graveyard, because so many of us are dead that we're continuously allowing our sisters to die because of us and trying to make them, we become a walking magazine before them. And so they still stay in those dead places. And unless they're sisters that are really willing to say, hey, I was that woman that had seven men before I actually found this place or that place. I was that one that was doing this. I left my children to actually be with that man. There are so many untold stories that we can't get healthy until we can get beyond our own depth of lies how we are trying to struggle still with self-identity and lack confidence, and we really have no spiritual self. We're caught up in the voices in our head that you know, are constantly enveloping us, and we're just yeah. and it's not going just through the motion. Absolutely. And, and Deborah, Valerie and I can have those conversations with you about part two. And, and we've tried to have these conversations. We have been, really been trying to get into Baltimore differently. Uh, we really have, but we're up against an awful lot. There is some institutional stuff going on in Baltimore that keeps our organization outside. Any more questions? We got two over here. Hi, my name is Wanda Brown, and I just took a lot what you were saying. It took a lot of inner work, and it's because it's something that's inside of you waiting for you to arrive to it. And with me, I always took on other people's burdens, like my family. And like right now, I'm helping my niece. She's got like five kids. 
And until I went to see a therapist to sit down because I wanted to talk to someone, but the fear was, what are people going to think if I go, you know, because I'm supposed to be this strong person. Until one day I realized how much pain I was in mentally, emotionally, pulled all over the place. I had to help myself because I started getting really sick physically, financially, depressed, and I just went and completed my assignment with my therapist last month. I'm talking about now. Today I feel better. And when I went and opened up and just allowed my heart to just connect, and I was like, God, someone's listening to me. She used to look forward for me coming. I didn't have issues as far as, you know, it was just the way I was allowing other people to infiltrate you. Yes, yeah. and I felt guilty. So she was helping me put me back together, not feeling guilty if I say no. Now I can stand up and say no and mean it and don't feel bad because I told my mother no. I told my, I'm not going to do it. And it feels so good to be at this space right now in my life. And I used to have this program. Well, I started this outreach prayer ministry, WTB prayer ministry outreach. And ladies, can we talk? Um, so I'm trying to, you on the red, I would like to Tracy. help with the young ladies volunteer because I seen a young lady yesterday walking down the street and she was about 25. I said, you're very beautiful. Who did your makeup? And she was telling me, then we got to talk and she said she's out in Baltimore. She did a survey with 100 young ladies trying to help them feel good about themselves. She brings up a good point. I'm, I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to go to the next question. But she brings up a good point, And that is, is that women, to feel emotionally healthy, we have to talk. And we are not talking. So how does, you know, when you find other women like this, what should she say to them to encourage them to get to see a therapist? Well, by sharing, I think definitely by sharing your experience. Um, a lot of times stigma and difficulty with navigating the public and the private mental health systems are the top reasons why people don't access care. So I think we really need to have, um, at Black Mental Health Alliance, you can actually call us and we can provide a referral to an African-American psychologist, therapist, psych um, psychiatrist, psychologist, or social worker that accepts your insurance that um, that's in your geographical preference, your gender preference, or even your specialty. So I think that was very powerful what you just shared about how it impacted you. I just I just want to thank all our panelists. Go go ahead. No, I was saying, and I think people need to hear more about that, um, about successful outcomes. But I would like to talk to you afterwards about what you were interested in, in in doing as far as with the other women. So let's talk afterwards. But I I think it's very important that um, because so many people here, you know, a lot of people are suffering unnecessarily because, you know, they heard they don't want their, you know, insurance panel or they don't know how to pay for it or um, they can't find anybody or they don't make time for themselves or they're afraid of, you know, the, um, what their family's going to say. So I think it's really important that we dispel those myths. So definitely let's talk about it afterwards. Great comments tonight to, to our panelists, uh, Eleanor Hinton-Hoyt, Hillary Beard, Tracy Bryant. Thank you so much for, 
for doing this for us tonight and making us see, helping us see that if we don't have self-love, really getting anything else is going to be very difficult. So let's give them a round of applause. What makes it difficult to be black, female, and healthy in America? And, and before we go, if you have any questions outside, they, they will take the rest of your questions uh, outside. But I just want to say my aha moment tonight was that I have to love myself. And all of the decisions that I make come out of how I feel about myself. If you don't feel well about yourself, you're not going to make good choices. But if you feel well about yourself, you will be well. And that's my hope and my prayer for you tonight, that you will be well. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you.